0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: It really helps you to be more economically resilient. It's been a huge, huge deal for our farm. Um, And to put some numbers to it, you know, we've cut our synthetic fertilizer by more than 45%. So, you know, I'm not really worried about the high fertilizer prices right now.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Wednesday here on the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr today. Ashton, I don't have anything new or exciting to report for our listeners today. How about you?
2: I do. As a matter of fact, you know, Delaney, last week I was at the Houston Livestock Show and it is by far my favorite major Texas livestock show. It always has been. And um, I think it's pretty interesting because, you know, these livestock sales, the animals keep bringing in, you know, record amounts of money and the Houston Uh, Grand Champion Steer brought in a new record, a whopping $1 million this year. And the previous record was set back in 2019, and that was only $625,000. I say only, but that's just a little over half of this new record. And I just couldn't believe that it brought $1 million. And I will say Houston animals typically, I think, bring in the, the most money out of the Texas majors, but I couldn't believe it was $1 million.
0: And I don't think a lot of that gets to be kept by the
2: showman. Does it Ashton? No, it's only a small percentage. Um, I think what I'm I've read is maybe about 45,000. If I'm remembering correctly is what actually gets to go to that uh, showman. The rest of it, of course, goes back to scholarships and things of that nature, but um, you know, I was a Houston scholarship recipient, so I'm very grateful that they have programs like this. But at the same time, you know, that's not even a, a fraction, $45,000, not even a fraction of a million that this. No, certainly
0: not. And yeah, you hope it really is going towards scholarship dollars, because that would certainly help a lot of other kids make it to college and pay for that. But probably disheartening for the showman, for sure.
2: Yes. Oh, I uh have to correct myself, Delaney. It's 85,000, not get. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's going to pay for that person's college. So no, so probably don't feel too sorry for them actually. <laughs> But Delaney, that's really the only exciting piece of news that I had. I have a couple of other things to chat about, but I'll give you the floor since I just talked about that million-dollar prize.
0: Well, thank you, Ash, and I appreciate that. I am going to chat a little bit here about spring planting intentions because we are T-minus basically a week out before we see this month's planting intentions report coming out of the USDA and. I'll just say this. I've seen a couple of estimates come out from different agencies. I received agmarket.net's official acreage estimates this morning. I also saw Kleist Commodity Advisors. Theirs also was blasted out this morning in their uh, morning newsletter. And I believe also Successful Farming had theirs as well. But there's certainly a pretty big discrepancy I've noticed between different agencies, different brokerage firms, I should say, and what they are reporting for acreage numbers. Kleist Commodity Advisors is anticipating about 92 and a half million acres of corn while agmarket.net is at just 90.7 million acres, about 89 million acres of soybeans is kind of across the board there. And then 48 million acres for wheat across both of those two agencies. But, uh, It's going to be interesting here because the USDA Ag Outlook Forum pegged corn acres at 92 million, soybeans at 88, and wheat at 48. So there certainly could be a big discrepancy that we see here between what analysts are anticipating. And I haven't seen yet the average market average yet. That'll probably hit the news wires I would anticipate sometime later this week, but We will be definitely watching that report to see how that may or may not move the needle for commodity markets, Ashton.
2: Well, Delaney, luckily, we're talking a little bit more about planting season later on in the show with Mitchell Hora, so I won't expand too much further on that and leave that up to him in that conversation, but one thing that I did want to talk about here at the top of the podcast is some weather in South America. You know, you and I were talking yesterday about the continued drought here in the States, but as we know, South America is experiencing a considerable drought as well, but it looks like Argentina is set to receive some good rain, but it also is bringing the chance of storms. So wanted to put that on your radar, and I'm going to continue to watch the weather radar, Delaney, and see if Argentina actually gets the rain that it's anticipated to get.
0: Yeah, and... We know we're continuing to watch that forecast, but as far as the crop that's being harvested right now, it's obviously too late for that one. It's really going to be the factor here as we move forward towards those additional planting seasons that are upon us currently for a lot of those South American countries. So certainly important to stay in step there with those stories, Ashton. But another thing that of course has drastic market impact is the russia ukraine situation i saw this article might be a good one ash and i'll shoot it your way we can share it in this week's weekly newsletter but it was basically a story that a ukrainian ag journalist put out and he said that while the seeding season in ukraine has started the main question is how well positioned are producers to plant and although he says that that of course is not A simple answer to find because there's a lot of producers with varying levels of damage and production issues. He said there are some big producers who lost up to 90% of their production area. And especially in the East, Southeast portions of Ukraine, there's still a large Russian occupancy. And so I don't know. I thought it was just an interesting article as you continue to kind of digest what's going on there. But we're really starting to see things again kind of intensify here. And commodity markets certainly have been reacting to that, responding to that, as well as the fact that President Biden is on his way to Europe today to attend an emergency NATO summit focused meeting To talk about the Ukrainian crisis, because Russia is expected to take Ukraine in just a couple of days, Ashton. So we're starting to see some of the world's leaders get together and kind of figure out what's next there, how they step in, how they potentially help folks from a humanitarian aspect. But definitely got some fresh news of that today.
2: It's so weird to me, Delaney, that you say that Russia is expected to take over Ukraine in just a few days because the stories that I have been seeing, and this is really just on social media, so you need to kind of take those things with a grain of salt, but it makes it seem like Ukraine is putting up uh, a, a decent fight. And I didn't realize that Russia was um, had advanced that far. Yes,
0: I, I had neither. I've been, like I said, watching things, but. I hadn't realized it had gotten that bad.
2: Well, Delaney, bringing things back here domestically, wanted to just update a little bit on avian flu. You know, we've been talking a ton about it, so I don't want to wear our audience out, but did want to let everybody know that people are starting to have some conversations that this outbreak could be far more devastating than the one that we saw in 2015. Minnesota Board of Animal Health Senior Veterinarian, Dr. Shauna Voss, says that this highly pathogenic strain is being seen in wild birds. We've now seen it in commercial poultry and backyard poultry in many different states. So this is kind of raising a red flag to her. And I think that a lot of people are kind of seeing some red flags here, beginning to be on high alert. So just... A little bit of a fair warning, I suppose.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Ashton, because you're right. There's still a lot to unpack there and a lot of concern about. Again, I hope we don't have 2015 avian influenza levels, but I think that's kind of lingering in a lot of people's minds. But I wanted to turn our attention here to the retail fertilizer market as we look at DTN's weekly fertilizer tracking for urea prices. This time is what I'm looking at today. Here we are in uh, end of March and strength is continuing to return to the retail fertilizer markets. All eight of the major fertilizers were higher compared to last month and four were considerably higher Um, Side note, DTN designates basically anything as a significant move of a 5% increase in value or more. We saw DAP up 11% compared to last month. MAP and urea were both about 7% higher. And urea has now hit an all-time high of $954 per ton. So certainly continuing to see some aggressive price increases in the fertilizer market as well, which. You know, again, as we're talking about Russia-Ukraine intensifying situation there, that comes as no surprise since they are such a global player in the fertilizer market.
2: Well, Delaney, I just have one other story that I wanted to talk about. I had mentioned some time ago the Ocean Shipping Reform Act and that has now passed out of the Commerce Committee and it will soon head to the full Senate for consideration. And it is being endorsed by the American Association of Port Authorities, and I have reached out to them. So hopefully we can get them on to talk a little bit more about this piece of legislation. It is intended to ease shipping backlogs and improve some supply chain issues because we're still seeing, um, you know, these kinds of issues when it comes to shipping, although we haven't Really talked about it in some time. You know, we're still seeing some issues, so hopefully this piece of legislation um, can get passed and we can kind of see some easement there. But just a little update for you when it comes to that act, Delaney.
0: Fantastic, Ashton. And I suppose the last thing we have to update our listeners on today is where commodity prices ended for the day. What do you say we hop in and chat markets? Let's do it. Fantastic. Well, we certainly are continuing to see, especially corn and soybeans. Added strength today on news of intensifying situations and in relationship there with Russia Ukraine as the potential to not see crops planted is continuing to intensify. May corn today up four and three quarters cents to close at 757 and three quarters. Deese new crop corn up two and a quarter cent to close at 672 and a quarter. Soybeans today added 22 and a quarter cent in the May contract to close at 1718 and three quarters. Nove new crop soybeans added a dime, closing the day out at fifteen oh eight. Wheat actually ended lower for the day as the Chicago May contract cut twelve and a half cents, at eleven oh five and three quarters. The July contract down nine and three quarters cents, closing at ten ninety one and a quarter. As we hop over to look at livestock today, we saw strength across pretty much all of the cattle complex aside for live cattle, April live cattle, which finished unchanged on the day at one thirty nine forty two the June up twenty seven and a half cents to close at one thirty five ninety seven April feeders today added a dollar twenty to close at one sixty one seventy seven. The May up 37 and a half cents, settling out at 165.80. April lean hogs added $2.30 to close at 255. The May up 342, settling the day at 114.65. And lastly, looking at the class three dairy milk futures, mixed trade today as the April contract shed 16 cents to close at 24.15. The May added nine pennies to close at 25.12. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to your conversation with Mitchell Hora.
2: Well, you haven't heard this voice on the Ag News Daily podcast in some time, but today we're talking to Mitchell Hora, talking a little bit more about cover crops versus relay crops. We had a really interesting tweet that I want to get into here in a minute, Mitchell, and really just gearing up for the 2022 planting season. But before we get into that, how have things been going for you?
1: Yeah, things are good down in uh, Southeast Iowa. Yeah, I've been missing out being on the The Ag News Daily Podcast has been a couple months. So, but no, things are good down here, gearing up uh, for a lot of soil sampling, a lot of soil health and carbon sampling this year for us. A lot of farmers that were putting together plans here for managing cover crops and managing soil health systems throughout the whole year. Um, so it's it's go time. Um, but of course, uh just about go time out, go time out on the farm as well. So uh yeah, I was able to be out there the other day and check out some things with now all the snow melted off and and uh, the soils are starting to green up with the cover crops here so it's uh exciting time of year
2: and before you and i got to recording here you were talking about soil moisture cuz it's a rainy day where you're at in iowa right now so why don't you catch us up to speed on what weather's been looking like what soils looking like all that good stuff
1: yeah. So uh, I believe that technically Washington County and a good chunk of Iowa is still technically in a drought area. Um, I saw something um, about some predictive um, moisture and stuff coming. I don't know what it was over the next 10 days or something like that, or it might've been longer, that down to the south and west of us, they're supposed to be, I believe it was more dry than normal. We're actually in an area where we're looking at kind of being a normal average kind of rainfall year. And then over towards the Great Lakes, it was looking like they were supposed to be a little bit wetter than normal. So that was an inter- uh, interesting map. But yeah, I mean, overall this year, uh, not anything miraculous for the amount of snowfall that we've had or the amount of moisture that we've had. But like I said, I was out at the farm here just the other day. The soil had great moisture in it, um, and just the feel of it was really cool. I was out there with one of my uh, customer success guys, um, one of my agronomists uh, that works here at Continuum Ag, and and it was just amazing to feel the soil as we were walking across it. That this soil was had plenty of moisture in it, you know, from the snow that we had about a week ago melting off plenty of moisture in it but the soil wasn't muddy it wasn't like sticky and sloppy and and nasty it was really springy and it felt like you're walking on a squishy kind of, of surface but not squishy where it's like greasy like we often find with soils when they're wet and muddy like that it was like springy with really good soil structure tons of earthworm holes and stuff all over the place really really exciting to see you know that All this moisture that we have gotten or the stuff that we're getting today, it is all getting down into our soils. We're holding on to it. And uh, that moisture is going to be crucial for us here later on in the year.
2: And of course, you know, you're... Super knowledgeable when it comes to soil health, Mitchell, and I want to talk a little bit more about soil health and maybe some practices that people are going to be implementing this planting season, because it's a little bit different of a situation that we've got on our hands when it comes to soil health, you know, everything dealing with fertilizer. Delaney and I have been talking a ton about biologicals and how some more farmers are implementing those kinds of systems on their operations. So what are your thoughts there on soil health moving forward this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, if if there's ever a time to really f- take a step back and look at your operation and look at how can you be more resilient, how can you be more profitable, you know, this is the year to do it. Fertilizer prices through the roof, um, the chemi- chemical prices and stuff through the roof and lack of availability, we're going to have to find a better way um, as farmers. You know, we're going to have to take better control over, you know, attempting to control more of the scenarios that can throw things out of whack. And can impact our profitability. And uh, by understanding the principles of soil health and strategically implementing those principles, it really helps you to be more economically resilient. It's been a huge, huge deal for our farm. Um, and to put some numbers to it, you know, we've cut our synthetic fertilizer by more than forty-five percent. So, you know, I'm not really worried about the high fertilizer prices right now. I don't need that much fertilizer because my soil is more biologically active. More of my nutrients are in cycle. They're not tied up in the soil. They're biologically available. And I've got the right amount of biological activity to continue to cycle those nutrients and make them more available. Also utilizing the cover crop as my nutrient stabilizer. That's my offensive management tool. I'm storing nutrients in that cover crop. And when I terminate that cover crop and it decomposes, it's going to be part of my side dress program and side dress, not only nitrogen back to my crops, but all those other nutrients that are tied up in that cover crop as well. A really key change of mindset there. Other things, you know, planting green, cutting back on our on our pesticide inputs—they're super expensive this year. The lack of availability is a, a real concern. Um, so we're utilizing that cover crop as again a offensive management tool to manage other weeds and manage other pests, um, and also to manage moisture. And if we end up getting wet, I can utilize that cover crop to pull out excess moisture. If we get dry, I can terminate that cover crop and utilize it as a tool to, you know, to help to mitigate against the evaporation and provide kind of a sponge out there. So a uh, good opportunity, you know, especially that the, we need to be looking at this stuff and, and we're using the Haney test to quantify and make sure we got data behind this. Don't just go in blind, but fertilizer prices are not going to get better anytime soon. I mean, with what's going on Over in uh, Eastern Europe, um, the stuff that we're hearing now from China, from Russia, like these prices are not going to get better anytime soon. We've got to focus on allowing Mother Nature to take care of us, um, but we have to take care of Mother Nature first.
2: So really why I wanted to get in contact with with you today, Mitchell, is because you had an interesting tweet talking about relay crops. Is that the same thing as cover crops? And I just didn't get the memo. What's up with that?
1: Yeah. So relay crops are not necessarily the same as the cover crop, but it's a way to be able to now essentially monetize your cover crop where, you know, a lot of farms are planting a cover crop in the fall, you know, after harvest or right before you harvest, plant that cover crop. Typically cereal rye is the most common cover crop used in Iowa and across the Midwest, but planting that cover crop in the fall. And then in the spring, I always encourage everyone to plant green. If you're planting corn or soybeans, plant it green into the cover crop and then terminate the cover crop later. But in a relay crop system, we're planting soybeans into the cereal rye, just like normal. Typically, I would terminate my cereal rye in late May when the rye starts dropping pollen. I could terminate it earlier if I end up getting really dry. But um, even last year when we were dry, we're still letting that cover crop go, waiting for it to start dropping pollen. Then we terminate. In the relay crop, we don't use any herbicide. We wait until July when that cereal rye is ready to be harvested. And we actually harvest the rye over the top of the soybeans, creating now a new third crop for our operation. So by definition, now it's not technically a cover crop anymore. Since I'm harvesting it for grain and I'm just utilizing that cover crop, utilizing that rye seed for more cover crop seed for the next fall. So I'm planting rye into corn stalks in the fall. So fall of 2021. And now this spring, we'll go out there in April and we'll drill in our soybeans. And then uh, in July, we'll harvest the rye over the top of the soybeans. Then we'll come back in September or and harvest the soybeans. And then we'll follow that by planting in more of that cereal rye and other diverse cover crops, uh, preparing our soils over the winter of 2022 um, preparing ourselves for 2023. So we've been doing it for the last three years, harvesting the rye. We're getting yields from 15 to 30 bushel the acre, nothing crazy, but we're only planting it out of a bushel the acre, light seeding rates. We're not getting aggressive with um, any kind of varietal rye for the most part, not really getting aggressive with fertilizing the rye or using a lot of fungicide. We're just harvesting that uh, little bit of extra rye seed over the top of the soybeans, getting decent yield, 15 to 30 bushel on the rye, just for more you know, farmer, local, bin, run, cover crop seed. The seed needs to come from somewhere. We might as well grow it ourselves. Uh, but the most exciting part has been that over the last three years, doing replicated trials with uh, On Farm Network from the Iowa Soybean Association and with Multi-Cropping Iowa, we're seeing no major yield losses at all. Our average in our replicated trials has been three quarters of a bushel of yield loss on the soybeans. Even where I'm running them over in the summer and harvesting the rye, seeing no major yield loss, still getting 70 bushel soybeans. Last year uh we had a bunch of relay crop last year, and it was our best soybean yields ever, just like a lot of other people had. But our soybeans, we harvested a rye crop off at first. Just so amazing to see what Mother Nature can do when we emulate nature, we get the grasses and the legumes growing together. We get those biological components really cranking, but uh, we can open up new opportunities to grow more crops, uh, grow our own cover crop seed, continue to drive soybean yields. Uh, but overall, it's really contributes to our bottom line and uh, it helps us to be creative and uh, be innovative and, uh, and drive more profitability for our farms. Last kind of side note, relay cropping is actually now an approved practice for crop insurance uh you can actually get crop insurance on a relay crop system depends on what region you're in but uh for the the vast majority of iowa and, and throughout the midwest uh talk to your crop insurance agent um but you should be protected and be able to actually harvest some of your rye uh it's something to try 100 try it small and uh, let me know how it goes
2: well, Mitchell, you are the cover crop king. So if any of our listeners want to talk to you a little bit more about implementing that kind of system on their operation or just to chat about the upcoming planting season, how can they reach you?
1: I am absolutely not the cover crop king. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a sponge of information and taking ideas from from guys that I'm learning from and uh, and trying to test those ideas on my own farm, make sure that I am walking the walk, not just talking the talk. You know, and uh, definitely have dad to thank for a lot of that stuff as well. You know, he's super innovative in making these things work, um, so I can keep getting crazy ideas uh, from social media, from all the conferences and stuff that I go to. But uh, just trying to, you know, be part of that overall movement. We got to keep learning. We got to keep innovating in agriculture, and uh, and I'm just happy to be a part of that and trying to do things different. Um, but most importantly, it it's how I pay the bills. It, we got to be more innovative to make this stuff work. My land expense is super high and in uh, relay cropping and using cover crops overall as my nutrient stabilizer and as my offensive tool, it helps to pay the bills. So uh, yeah, more info on our stuff um, on all my social medias. You can, you can search Mitchell Hora, but uh, at Continuum Ag, Continuum underscore Ag on Twitter, uh, that's where you can find all my stuff.
2: Well, thanks again, Mitchell, for coming on and chatting with us today. Certainly appreciate it.
1: Always fun and good luck to everyone as we get out in the fields here this year. Um, A interesting time to be in ag, but focus on, you know, the opportunities ahead um, and the positives here in agriculture. The world needs us now more than ever. Uh, So focus on that and uh, and make sure that you're you're doing things to ensure profitability for your family farm and and uh, drive those opportunities for our rural communities.
2: again there to Mitchell for coming on giving us a little bit of an update as to where he's at what he's been up to and really some good things about the upcoming planting season Delaney I'm excited to talk a little bit more here about planting so I don't know about you but I'm pumped I am as well I'm gonna be uh hopefully as much as I
0: can to help them blame this season a little bit more than I usually do since I've got a little more flexibility in my schedule. So I don't know, maybe I'll be recording some podcasts from the planter this year.
2: <laughs> well, Delaney, we always love seeing some women in agriculture. So I am certainly excited to see if you get behind the wheel, but Delaney, other than that, if our listeners need any kind of listening material while they are planting this season, they can always find us at agnewsdaily.com or on socials on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Agnewsdaily. News Daily. With that, Melanie, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.